welcome to Ask a Pastor, the podcast where you can ask the pastor, well, anything. In this episode, Pastor Chip Stevens is joined by one of the ministry team at First Baptist Jackson to answer your questions. Now, let's join Chip and his guests in the studio. Welcome to this episode of the Ask a Pastor podcast. Uh, today, I've got Mike Harlan, our Associate Pastor of Worship, as our guest. And so, Mike, it's always great to have you. Thank Glad you again here. for joining be. us. Uh, the question is right up your alley. And the question is, what is the difference between a hymn and a contemporary song? And kind of a follow-up question is, what, what are the pros and cons of each one of those? Do, do I need to address you as Dr. Stevens now that we talk about? You no. certainly may. Okay. Well, Dr. <laughs> no, Stevens, I just can't. totally mess with you. Yeah. Um, well, you can imagine um, doing what I do uh, for all these years. I've been asked that question I a few times. I bet you have, yeah. And I've asked it of myself many yeah. times. Uh, you know, back in my Lifeway days, uh, it fell to my team to create a new hymnal for Southern Baptists. And we only did that <laughs> ever so often. And, uh, and we had to ask questions about what would be a hymn, what mm -hmm. would be a worship song. So... I probably have more to say on this subject than we have time for me to say it all, but I, let me just do a big brain dump, and if I say yeah. something that triggers okay. a follow-up, you can ask me. All right. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, there is no technical definition of a song that qualifies it to be a hymn or not. Uh, if you actually study this from a music standpoint, let's say you were pursuing a music degree and you were studying great terminology of music terms or maybe what, what musicians call the Oxford Dictionary of Music, if you want to think of the, the Harvard Dictionary of Music. Uh, look up the word hymn and you'll see there is no technical musical definition of a hymn. In other words, there are not these four or five attributes that every hymn has, or if it has these, then it's a hymn. The word hymn is an English word that comes from a Greek word that Paul actually uses in the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians, this hymnos, this Greek word where he talks about in Colossians 3.16, for instance, that we should sing, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and the word hymn there, there is no technical musical definition of what a hymn is. Uh, and so, but what it has come to mean in practice is uh, people associate hymns with things that are structured, verse and refrain, mm -hmm. and structured in a way that they're usually, if you want to talk about the common attributes of songs that people would call a hymn, it would have a, a deeper theological content. People would say that makes it a hymn, or it has a, a verse and refrain that is repeated in a metered stanza, uh, that makes it a hymn. It's, it's more prose written in style. Uh, and that certainly was what songwriters were doing back in the early days of church music in the 17th, 18th, certainly 19th century when people were writing what you and I consider to be hymns. But then you look at what people like Keith Getty and Stuart Towning are writing today, songs like In Christ Alone, How Deep the Father's Love, some of those, and people call those modern hymns. Even Keith Getty himself, a close friend of mine, has often said that they're trying to write modern hymns. And what's really confusing about that is there's no real technical musical definition of what makes something a hymn. So practically speaking, people will consider something to be a hymn 
mostly because it's old, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. you know, or because they grew up singing it. That must yeah. make it a hymn. So let me go back to the Colossians mention of the word and okay. the way Paul uses the word in the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians. If you study the original word from which we get the word hymn, what you find out it is really more descriptive of what you and I would call a praise song. <laughs> yeah. So so in Colossians 3.16, he says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. When I, I believe when he says psalms, he's talking about a defined collection of songs that would be the Psalter, what we would call the book of Psalms and the other songs of Scripture in their tradition, he would have called those psalms. And the word hymns there actually is more aligned with a spiritual or a, a praise testimonial song. Mm -hmm. uh, what you and I would call a praise song today is probably more about what Paul was calling a hymn. So that's not really helpful in that way. And then spiritual songs would be those spontaneous expressions, the spirit of God within me, and I just want to sing. And I want to sing something spontaneously, which I wonder if the modern Christian can identify with. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between a hymn and a, a worship song? Basically, musically, nothing. There's no difference. Uh, but in our practice, hymns, most people think of hymns as something that's more traditionally styled in a metrical way, and then a worship song being more repetitive, more uh, maybe simpler, not as theologically rich. That's how most people think of the two. But even that is <laughs> oftentimes wrong. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think about some of the some of the hymns that I grew up with, wonderful songs. Not all of them are theologically rich. No, and uh -uh. some of them, in fact, have errors. I think of uh, the great Christmas song, which I love. We three kings of Orient are exactly. They weren't kings. There's all kind of and, <laughs> you know, and were there three of them? And, and by the way, where's right. the Orient? You know, I mean. <laughs> exactly. So other than that, it's perfect. I mean, you know, you, you think of. Uh, uh, Precious memories. Sure, I mean, it has nothing to do with the Lord. I mean, it's just kind of looking back at. I got, I've got a more. I've got another one that's problematic, is that I love. By the way, in the garden. Yeah. I come to the garden alone. It's very metaphorical. None other has ever known. Am I the only person that has ever known Jesus? You know, yeah, right. uh, this whole idea, it's metaphorical, and I think the song can be sung in a worship expression that way. But to say it's theologically accurate. Is probably a stretch. But then I think of what some people would call a contemporary song, and it's not, it, it, some people, I guess, would call it new, but it's not really new. But as the deer pants for the water, that's yeah, Psalm 42. Right out of the Psalms. And so if you're comparing which one is more theologically accurate, what some would call a contemporary song or praise song was actually more accurate than a lot of hymns. And no question about and it. So that's, so how do you, I guess the question would be, because the second part of the question is, pros and cons of each. And so maybe a better way to ask the question would be, how do you know which one to do? I mean, you're, you're planning music every Sunday. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know what to do? Yeah. So in our church, one of the things that I want our church to be known for is the biblical accuracy of everything that we do in worship, not just certainly the sermon. I know that's what your, yeah. your yeah, heart's right, desire right. is. And all the way down to the last announcement we make, we want everything to be biblically authentic and as close to the text of Scripture and representative of God's Word as possible. And the reason we feel so strongly about that is God's Word is the only thing we have that has the power to impact and change lives. 
So if we become this musical organization that's stylistically driven, but we're not biblically accurate, then I'm not sure why we're even in business. You know, yeah. we don't have the power. We might have the, the power to impress people or inspire people, but we certainly can't have the effect of impacting lives. Only God's word has that power. So, so in, in that respect, whatever we do, it's got to be biblica, biblically accurate. I also want to say that in our congregation, we are multi-generational. And it's interesting to note, Pastor, every generation has found its own musical expression. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I've often talked about there are five or six psalms that have tune names associated with them. And, and so even the psalmist was associating, I think, Psalm 65, 64, 65 in that range, maybe a little bit later, like 57, 58. Some of those psalms have tune names in the superscription that says, sung to the tune of... Right. The lilies That's is right. one of them. Yeah, right. So so if God preserved the text, mm-hmm. which we have every confidence that he preserved the text, it begs the question, why didn't he preserve the tunes? Hmm. And I've always pondered that. I, there's That's no right or wrong answer. Could he have preserved the tunes? Sure could have, yeah. There could have been a, you know, we've got a book in the Bible mm-hmm. called Numbers. We could have a book in the Bible called Tunes, mm-hmm. you know, and all the tunes be there. Could God have notated music to us? He could have. Why didn't he? Well, if you study the history of the church, every generation has found its own expression. Here's, here's something really fascinating. I didn't mean to turn this into a music history lesson. <laughs> but in the earliest days of the church, music was very controversial then. Yeah. In the 1700s, in the 1800s, there were wars fought over harmonies. As a matter of fact, in the earliest tradition of church music, the, the basic uh, figure of a major third which if you know what that is, you know what it is. If you don't know what it is, let me just say that every song you've ever heard is built on it. <laughs> the major third becomes this important interval in the Western sensibility of what music sounds like. Every song you love has major thirds in it. Well, in the earliest church music, opinion was that the major third was an evil <laughs> evil interval, and it should not be used. Hmm. <laughs> That's why Renaissance music in the church had all these open chords that sounds real like monks in a monastery, because they didn't allow major thirds in the music. They thought it was evil to have major thirds. Well, Bill Gaither doesn't feel that way, because every song <laughs> he's ever written has major thirds all over. And by the way, I don't feel that way either. Yeah. All right, so here's the point. Why weren't the tunes preserved, and why has music moved so far, and by the way, continues to move? I really believe, and this is supposition at my point, my humble opinion, which I highly regard. regard, (laughs) I believe God invites us to collaborate with Him in the worship expression. Hmm. We would never want to tamper with the text and what it says. That's His part. But the the people have been invited to join in with God to create the new song. The Bible talks about that nine times. Sing to the Lord a new song. I don't always think that means the copyright date. I think the new song comes from a new heart. But I do think that God, and I think there's plenty of evidences in Scripture, that God welcomes the creativity that we bring into the worship process. He gives us the unchanging word that we build everything on, but He welcomes us into the opportunity to express it. And every generation since the beginning of the church has found its own expression of the timeless truth of God's Word. Why didn't he preserve the the tunes? He could have, because I think he has invited us into the creation of our own expression, and every generation has had that joy. 
it burdens me when any generation thinks that their way is the only way. Mm. What, if the, what if the youngest generation felt that way? Well, that'd leave a whole lot of us out. But neither should older generations feel like the way they did it's the only way it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be the height of selfishness mm-hmm. If any generation felt like, you know, the way we did it was the way it ought to be done, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that, that, that would be very selfish, wouldn't it? Uh, but what I love, what I hope for, I want it to be biblically, ac- biblically accurate. I want it to be done with excellence. Mm. Not, a, not so that people can brag on our music ministry, but so they can hear the Word of God without barrier, without obstacle. I want it to be done with excellence. And then the third thing, I don't aim for blended. Some people like to call worship styles blended. To me, blended is, it's a term that doesn't make anybody happy. It makes everybody mad at some point. But I'm not aiming for blended. But I tell you what I think the psalmist is, is calling for in Psalm 149 and Psalm 150 when he says, let everything that has breath, when he says, with the, with the cymbal, with the lyre, with the high sounding cymbal, with the drum, with, the, with your voices, with let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. I think, and what Paul is saying with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is use it all. Do it all. Do everything. And do it in, with excellence. And do it with biblical accuracy. And do it in a way that, that transcends the generational interests of the young or the old or the in-between do it in a way that God's Word is so preeminently present that it transcends the stylistic preferences of a few people. So that's a that's around the block, I know, to say that we're going to use it all. I hope mm-hmm. we do it all with excellence. Yeah. Now, we, we're going to be better at some things than others. Mm-hmm. So there's some things we're not going to tend to do because we don't tend to do those things very well. Yeah. And I won't give any specific examples yeah. of yeah. that. But yeah. Yeah. So I want it to be with excellence. I want to use it all. And say that between hymns and how do you, how do you, what are the pros and cons? Um, the pros are when they're true, they're true. When the cons are when they're not, they're not. And done well and done right and put in the right place, in the right spirit. I think all of it can connect uh, to serve a, a diverse body of, of generations and believers, hopefully, where, where the talking point is about the truth of God's word and not what, what year the song was written in. Fantastic. Listen, that's, I, I, I learned a lot today. I don't think that could have been answered any better. So thank you again for joining us for this episode of Ask a Podcast. Hope you'll continue to tune in and that you'll continue to submit questions to us. Thank you so much again for joining us. Hope that you have a wonderful day. Do you have a question to ask a pastor? You can send it to us by visiting firstbaptistjackson.org slash APP or message us on social media. You can find us at FBJacksonMS on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it. Thanks again for joining us for Ask a Pastor.